Well, gosh, I hope the rest of our service is just as good, everybody. All right. God's gonna show up, he's already here. So uh, let's get to it, let's get to it. If, if you have your Bibles uh, out there and in here, go ahead and grab them, open up to the book of Judges, the book of Judges. Uh, today, we're gonna be in chapter eight uh, and a little bit of chapter nine today. Uh, and so if you are new or if you're visiting or, or uh, just joining us for the first time, we are in the past the middle of this series where we're in the book of Judges. And uh, in baseball terms, we've kind of rounded second and we're on our way to third base, okay? We're on the home stretch, kind of. Uh, and so here's, I'm, I'm not gonna be able to recap all of the things and judges that we've talked about so far, but what this is really about uh, is about God and his people. And what we've seen is that Israel, God's people, had just been in this constant cycle of rebelling against God, uh, and then where they just go against what God says and, and not following him. And then out of that rebellion comes repression from people groups against God's people. And from that repression, they end up regretting it. They end up regretting turning away from God. I don't believe that they really repent uh, from it. I think that's different than regret, but they regret it. Uh, and because of God's great love and mercy, we see him rescue them. That is the basic deal of what we're going over. And so we have these judges, uh, these people, these men and women, who God raises up to lead the people uh, and be rescued by God uh, and get them out of trouble. And, and last week, we actually saw one of the most famous judges uh, next to Samson. We, we talked about Gideon. Gideon is some, a person that a lot of people know. Uh, and this week, uh, we're gonna be looking at one of the lesser known uh, guys and his name is Abimelech, okay? Abimelech. And I'm just gonna tell you right now, this is a bad guy. This guy was not good. And uh, I told you in the beginning of this that we're gonna encounter good guys and bad guys, and this dude was bad. That is not debatable, okay? Now, what is debatable uh, is whether or not he was a judge. We're, it's debatable whether or not he was a judge at all. We'll get to that here in a minute. Uh, but in order to get to Abimelech, we're gonna have to do something, everybody. We're gonna have to go back a little bit in the story and return to Gideon, okay? Because Gideon is a huge part of how Abimelech comes to take over and lead God's people, okay? So last week, uh, we left on a high note with Gideon. Uh, he was a, a mighty man of valor. That's what God called him. He, he was leading God's people. And, and we see though in the beginning of Gideon's story, he didn't really believe that about himself. He didn't think he was a mighty man of valor. He was unsure. He was not very confident. But what we see is he actually grew in to believing what God said about him, that, it, that over time he did become confident about being who God said he was. And then what we saw is we saw him lead one of the biggest military upsets in the history of the world. He took 300 guys and defeated over 100,000 Midianites and not one of his guys even got a scratch on him and God took the credit for that. Now, if you have any Sunday school experience whatsoever, that is where you pretty much leave the story of Gideon and you go on to the next guy, probably actually skip all the way uh, to Samson, all right? But... That is not the whole story about Gideon, all right? And why you don't hear the rest of the story as a kid is because the next couple things that happen with Gideon are not what we would say flannel board material, everybody, all right? So uh, we're gonna look at this a little bit, all right? So in chapter six and seven, that's what we covered last week. Gideon, again, he's this dude on a mission. He is, he is just on the mountaintop with God, doing what God told him to do. He's just seeing God work in all these ways. But when you get to chapter eight... 
things take a little bit of a turn, all right? So I'm gonna pick this up from the end of chapter seven. We're gonna be coming in and out of chapter eight a little bit. Uh, but what's happening here at the end of chapter seven is Gideon and uh, his army, they're following and, and chasing after these two kings of Midian that were left over from the battle uh, that God won. And so he's chasing these two kings. And, and what we see is he chases them through these two towns of Israel, okay? Uh, and so the first town that he comes through as he's chasing to him is a town called Ephraim. Now, Ephraim is a name that we've already covered a little bit in this series, but Ephraim is, uh, they're really well off. They're really rich. They're very powerful. They've got a lot uh, of money and prestige. And so what he does when he comes to this town, he asks them for help, but they don't help him. They don't have, in fact, they give him the business, okay? So, so I, wanna, I wanna read this. This is in verse one in chapter eight. Here's what it says. Here's what they said to Gideon was, hey, will you guys help me find these guys? He goes, well, why have you treated us this way? Why, why didn't you send for us when you first went out to fight them? And they argued heatedly, it says, with Gideon. And so their feelings are hurt. They're, they're like really bothered that, that he didn't ask them to help because they had like powerful warriors and they had a big army and, and they wanted to lead that battle because you know, they wanted glory. They, they, they were like, we've trained uh, for this and we were ready for this. And, and if you were here last week, there's a really big reason why they didn't go and why Gideon didn't ask them because God told him not to. God said, no, 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 that's not how we're gonna win this war. He's not, he said, I'm not gonna tell you to bring anyone. In fact, I'm gonna whittle your army down to about 300 guys and, and you're gonna see me do something amazing so that I get the credit. And, and Gideon knew this, right? But instead of telling Ephraim that, instead of saying, hey guys, like this was a God thing. God told me to do this and sorry, man, but this is just what we needed to do. Instead of doing that, here's what he instead does. He actually starts talking to him and puffing them up. He's, he almost like pacifies them. He's like, oh, I know you guys are so awesome and you're amazing and, and man, I love you and you're impressive and you were so important. You, in fact, you were too important. You're doing too many important things to, to mess with me on this little battle. And it actually works. Like they, they kind of, uh, it keeps him at bay. So, so he moves on. They're like, okay, we get it. Thanks, Gideon. And so then he goes, and uh, so he goes into the next town, right? Same thing. He goes to the next town. The next town uh, is called Succoth, all right? And the people of Succoth, though, they're a little different. They're not well off. Uh, they're poor. They don't have much. Maybe that's why it's called Succoth. I don't know, like, because <laughs> compared to Ephraim, kind of Succoth. Okay, so anyways... They don't help either, okay? They don't help either. Uh, and, and so uh, they actually give him the business too. And, but here's what's funny, gang. What's funny, what's interesting is Gideon's response. Because his response to Succoth is the complete opposite of his response to Ephraim. And so here's what he says in verse seven. He goes, okay, here's, all right, guys. After the Lord gives me victory over Zeba and, and Zalmunna, those are the two kings, I will return and tear your flesh with the thorns and briars from the wilderness. So, just to recap, he goes from flattery in Ephraim to tearing flesh in Succoth. That's a little bit of a left turn, right, everybody? Like, that's a little bit of a different response. And so we're seeing Gideon change right before our eyes. And here's what you don't see. This is so important. You don't see God. You don't see God. He's nowhere in the chapter like he was in the previous chapters. You don't see Gideon. And here's why, because he is not talking to God. Now, what we see him is he talks about God, but he's not with God. And gang, there is a huge difference in that, okay? Uh, people do that today. People still do that today. 
right? People talk about God. Oh, I, I pray, I pray all the time, and I go to church. And, and there's a difference, though. There's a difference between talking about God and being with him. So what's happening with Gideon is he's actually just kind of using God when it's convenient for him. And when it's not, he doesn't, okay? So Gideon tracks these two kings down. He goes through Succoth, and he tracks them down. He kills them, kills the two kings, right? Now, before he does that, he actually tracks back with these two kings in tow because uh, he said, I got some business to, to take care of. So he goes back to Succoth, uh, and here's what happens in verse 16. It says, then Gideon, this is before he killed the king. So he's like, hey, I caught him. I just want you to see this. And then, and then it says, then Gideon took the elders of Succoth, and he taught them a lesson, punishing them with thorns and briars from the wilderness. And then he also tore down the tower of Peniel and killed all the men in the town. And so he literally cracks the whip on Succoth and, and like in front of the town, he, he basically does what he said he was gonna do. He whips them and tears their flesh out. And then for good measure, he goes to another town that we just learned about now, Peniel, and he kills God's people. He kills his own people. And yet he does nothing with Ephraim. Nothing, because he's like, well, they got money. I might need them, I might need them. It's crazy how fast this turns, isn't it? It's crazy. Well, he keeps going. It, it doesn't stop there. Pick up in verse 22. So it says, all right, then, so after all this, and he killed the kings, then the Israelites said to Gideon, hey, be our ruler, be our king. You and your son and your grandson will be our rulers for you have rescued us from Midian. Notice that, not God. All of a sudden, like, Gideon's the guy. You rescued us from Midian. But Gideon replied, I will not rule over you, nor will my son. The Lord will rule over you. Okay, well, that's back to like what we were hoping he would say, so, so maybe, maybe he, like all this stuff got to his head for a minute, but, but kind of maybe uh, he's back, you know, that he's, okay, I'm not power hungry anymore, maybe he's back. Next verse. He goes, I will not be your king. However, that's just like saying, no offense, right? Like uh, offense is about to come. But however, I do have one request, that each of you give me an earring from the plunder you collected from your fallen enemies. Now that's already something they shouldn't have done. God, God never said take stuff from them. The enemies being the Ishmaelites all wore gold earrings. Gladly, they said. And so they spread out a cloak and the, each one threw in a gold earring he had gathered from the plunder. The weight of the gold earrings was 43 pounds. I couldn't stand it. I had to look it up. How much was that worth? Do, do you do that too? I'm like, what was that worth, right? That's almost a million dollars in today's currency. That's crazy with just a bunch of gold earrings, 43 pounds of gold, including, not including the royal ornaments and pendants, the purple clothing worn by the kings of Midian and the chains around the necks of their king. They must've been Prince fans or something with the purple and all that, I don't know. Look that up if you don't know who he is. Okay, so it doesn't, ma it doesn't matter. Okay, so what's happening, what's happening? It seems to me that Gideon decided to collect taxes. That seems awful kingly. To me, seems awful, seems awful king-like to me. Next verse. Then Gideon made a sacred ephod from the gold and put it in Ophrah, his hometown. But soon all the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping it and it became a trap for Gideon and his family. Now this one right here, gang, is bad. 
This one's really, really bad when it comes to God and, and what he commanded and what he wanted to have happen because here's what an ephod is if you don't know what an ephod is. An ephod was uh, like a vest or kind of like a, a robe that the high priest and only the high priest would wear uh, and it had different things on it. It had like all kinds of ornamental things but it had one thing on it, a gold breastplate of judgment on it. That's what it was, a breastplate of judgment. And what the high priest would do is he would put this ephod on and he would enter into the tabernacle to the Holy of Holies and he would be in the presence of God on behalf of all of the people and make requests to God and, and cleanse people's sin and, and all of those things. And it could only be worn, God's instructions were specific, it could only be worn by the tribe of Levi, by the Levites and the high priest. And Gideon says, hey, you know what? You know what would be great? Let's go ahead and make one of those ourselves and just put it in my hometown. That way you could come here and do, do that as well. Uh, and so that is what you call blasphemy. That goes directly against God's order, direct violation. Next verse, verse 29, or verse 29. It says, then Gideon, son of Joash, returned home and he had 70 sons born to him for he had many wives, okay? And uh, so what we got going on is Gideon saying, no, 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 I am not gonna be your king. I will not do it, no way, no how, to collecting taxes, building a, 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 making a gold ephod and putting it in his house in his hometown and saying, hey, if you need an answer, hey, you don't go to all, all the way there. You just come to me. I'll, I'll actually have your answer. I can, I can be your answer. Uh, and now he has a harem of wives and 70 sons. Now, back then that's significant because only kings would have something like that. Only kings would have something like that. Verse 31. And then he also had a concubine in Shechem who gave birth to a son whom he named Abimelech. Now there's Abimelech. I would circle that word if you're in your Bible, circle Abimelech. Because if you look at this up, this is so interesting to me. If you look up the meaning of the name Abimelech, because in the Old Testament, names meant a lot. Here's what the Hebrew meaning of Abimelech is. It means literally, listen to this, my father is king. That's what it meant. It meant my father is king. So people are like, Gideon, please be our king, no way, I am not gonna do it, like not doing, never be king, but how about you give me some taxes? Hey, I wanna build that thing and I'll take all those wives and hey, have you met my son? His name's my dad is king, hey, that, nice to meet you. Crazy, man, crazy, what's going on? Verse 33, and so as soon as Gideon died, the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping the images of Baal, back to Baal, making Baal Bareth their God. They forgot about the Lord their God who had rescued them from all of their enemies surrounding them. Nor did they show any loyalty to the family of Jeroboam, that was Gideon's name, despite all the good he had done for Israel. So what happened? What happened with Gideon? And more importantly, what do we take from this? And so there are two things that I think we need to see. If you're taking notes, go ahead and grab your notes out there. Two things that I think as I studied this that, that, that stuck out to me as I was looking into Gideon and, and, and what I wanted to take from it as well. Uh, so there are two things that we need to see about the downfall of Gideon. Here's the first thing that we see is that Gideon stopped talking to God. That's clear. You could totally see the change from chapter six and seven to chapter eight. He was talking to God and in chapter eight, there is just nothing. And so for us, here's a lesson for us that I have always got to keep my eyes on the ball. 
I've always got to keep my eyes on the ball. That's a lesson. Don't forget this about Gideon, gang. As we look into our own lives and, and study God's word for what it is and, and how he and his people were, were going through this stuff. But don't forget this about Gideon, man. He was a man of God. Don't forget that. He was going after God. He prayed for God's direction. He trusted God. If you ask him about religion, he would say, I am not religious. I have a relationship with the God of the universe. Like I, I know him, like he is real. He is, there's only one God. I got Galatians 5 on my fridge and I got a Jesus sticker on my bumper. You know what I'm saying? Like that's where he's at. But what happened? What happened? Gang, what happened to him is what can so easily happen to us and what happens to many people who would say they believe in God. And, and, and this is so subtle, this is so subtle. And if you're not paying attention, it can absolutely devastate your faith. And all it is, all it is, is just this. That's it. Just a shuttle, a subtle shift in, in what you're looking at. And, and that's all it takes. And sometimes that's all it needs. You just take your eyes off of God just for a second and it starts a spiral sometimes that is hard to get out of that. That's all that happens. And you will end up doing and saying things that you would never imagine or never see happening and thought that you would do and following your own path instead of God's. Happens all the time. Happens all the time, gang. I see it all the time. Breaks my heart every time I see it. So, so how, do we, how do we stay on the ball? Three things, three things that we need to do to stay on the ball, man. I can't presume my relationship with God. I think that's a huge issue that we gotta face. Like you can't just always presume that everything's good with you and God. Can't presume it. I can't take God's presence for granted and I cannot let up. I can't let up. We need to stay with God every day, every day. And here's the thing, gang. I know you hear me say that all the time, all the time, but it's just so important. Every day, every day you need to be in the presence of God. It is just as important as eating and drinking. We've gotta get to that point in our spiritual lives. Being in God's presence it's more than just saying, ah, you know, I pray. And it's like, well, what'd you pray about? I don't know. I just, man, you gotta be in the presence of God. And this is, gang, listen, a marathon that will last the rest of your lives. It is a marathon that is every day for the rest of our lives. And there will be days, there are days where you're gonna pray, like really pray. Be like, God, I need you, man. I want your presence on me. And, and there are days where you're gonna read God's word. You're gonna be open enough and you're, you don't feel like it. And, and, and then there are gonna be times where you, you don't even get anything out of it. You're like, I didn't get one thing. Ever do that? Anybody ever read and you're like, I, did, I got nothing out of that? Okay, you're leaving me hanging. Okay, I'm the only one? All right, great, thank you. Oh, now you raise your hand. Okay, no, 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 I got you. Don't believe that nothing's happening. Don't you believe that nothing's happening? Don't let that thought come into your mind. Well, I'm not really getting anything out. Here's the thing. Even if you're not getting anything out of it, God has given you something, everybody. You hear me, amen, everybody? He is, he is depositing nugget upon nugget of his truth and his wisdom and his word. Every day you're in his word, he is depositing something. He is working. He is blessing you when you do it. It is the spiritual food that you need to stay close to him. Being in God's presence is so important. It's so important. And I say this to my kids all the, day, all the time, and I, I was just talking to Henry about this the other day because we gotta understand, just because God is present doesn't mean we're in his presence. You hear me? Like just because we, he is present, he's always present, he's always wanting to speak to you, doesn't mean that we're in his presence. We have a part to play in that. I was talking to somebody the other day, a few weeks ago in, in the hallway, and we were just chatting. I don't know how we got to this, but it, man, she said, Andy, how do people not see the privilege that we have to be able to be in his presence? How do they not see it? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know, but we don't. We don't see that as a privilege. 
We just see that as like, ah, it's just something like everything else. It is such a privilege. We don't see it as a privilege that our access to God, our access to God that we could be in every day was bought with a price in the death of Jesus Christ. That that's what gave us the access that we have to God. And the fact that we can have it every day, every day should amaze us. So let me ask you, are you amazed? Are you amazed? Just by just understanding, I could be in God's presence right now. I could be in the presence of my heavenly father. If you're not struck by that, then you may have already shifted your gaze and might not even know it, gang. That's how subtle that happens. We need to be amazed. We gotta keep our eyes on the ball. Here's the second thing that we see in Gideon is that he also let prosperity puff him up. He let prosperity puff him up. And so here's a lesson uh, that we need to learn for us in this one is that we gotta be careful with prosperity. Gotta be careful with prosperity. Now, as you're writing that down, I am not saying that success is bad. I'm not saying that like wealth is something that God doesn't want uh, or anything like that. I'm not saying having a lot of money is evil, but here's what I am saying. What I am saying though is the amount of money you have has nothing to do with with the amount of faith you have. Unfortunately, there are people that teach that and that is a lie from the pit of hell. Like those are totally independent. Money and, and your faith have nothing to do with each other, okay? But uh, there are a lot of Christians who, who do find success. They are blessed by God. They do have excess and, and they are blessed with, with having uh, uh, that, that amazing uh, opportunity. And that's great. That's great. Like God blesses you with that. But here's what I wanna tell you if you are in that area. And by the way, uh, just, just so you know, like I know a lot of us are like, oh, I don't really have that much, like you do. <laughs> yeah, we're way well, more well off than most of the world, but, but let me get to the people who, who do see a lot of success. With excess, with success comes a lot of spiritual responsibility, everybody. There's a ton of spiritual responsibility that God puts on you with that. That's why I think Jesus taught about it more than any other subject, about wealth and, and prosperity and, and bringing that in, because here, here, here it is, gang. Most Christians will pass the problem of adversity. It's the test of prosperity when a lot of people will fail. And it happens. It's the test of prosperity where a lot of people will fail. Just look at Gideon. Look at Gideon. Go back and look at chapter six and seven. When he was being oppressed by the Midianites, when he was hiding in the hills, he depended on God. He needed God. He's like, God, I need you. I, all the time he was with him. But once he got success, man, that was it. He's gone. He's like, oh man, look at all this stuff that I got. And, and, and man, he was out the door real fast because Power, <laughs> power and prosperity are the greatest opportunities for you to be lured away from God in his presence. That's just true. Power and prosperity are one of the greatest lures to get you away from God in his presence. So with success, with excess, we have to guard our hearts. You hear me, everybody? You've gotta guard your hearts. How do you do that? Get some balances in your life. That's why we talk about generosity all the time. It's not because we need your money. God wants your heart. God wants your heart. And when you open up and say, I'm gonna be generous with what God's given me, it opens up your heart and it actually hides you away from the lure of actually being sucked in by wealth and prosperity. You gotta have generosity. You gotta have accountability in your life. Don't let that good thing that God uh, allowed in your life to get to your head. He gave it to you. You didn't do it. He gave you that mind. He gave you that energy. He gives you every breath you breathe. He gives you every breath that you breathe. So don't forget that. All right, so that's Gideon. That's Gideon. And I think those are some lessons that, that we needed to learn, okay? So now let's get to Abimelech, all right? Now, uh, I'm, I have to give you the cliff notes of, of Abimelech. And if you have your outlines there, you see that I put Abimelech with a question mark because 
God, I didn't realize God was gonna take me in this direction until I sat down. Like when I wrote this a while back, I'm like, yeah, we're gonna just learn about Abimelech, but God just kind of took me in another direction. But we need to at least learn a little bit about Abimelech, and so um, we're gonna look in this really quick. Uh, And really, the first five verses in chapter nine will tell you everything you need to know about Abimelech. So let's get there. Let's go Judges nine, and we're gonna read what happens. So Gideon's dead. Uh, He's, that sounded weird. He's, He's dead. Okay, he's dead. He just passed away. I don't know how he did. All right. Uh, Okay, anyways, all right, verse one. It says, one day Gideon's son Abimelech went to Shechem to visit his uncles, his mother's brothers. And he said to them and to the rest of his mother's family, hey, ask the leading citizens of Shechem whether they wanna be ruled by all 70 of Gideon's sons or by one man. And now remember, uh, I'm your own flesh and blood. Now, now again, his mom was a concubine and so all the other ones had different moms. But he's like, hey, I'm, a, I'm, I'm your flesh and blood. And so Abimelech's uncles gave his message to all the citizens of Shechem on his behalf. And after listening to this proposal, the people of Shechem decided in favor of Abimelech because he was their relative. Okay, so they gave him 70 silver coins from the temple of Baal Barith which he used to hire some reckless troublemakers who agreed to follow him. So he went to his father's home at Ophrah and there on one stone, they killed all 70 of his half brothers, the sons of Gideon. That's how Abimelech takes power. That's how he becomes ruler of Israel. Now, a couple of things here as I read this and studied on my own, why I do not believe that he was actually a judge at all. One, there's nowhere in here that you see God call on Abimelech's name to say, hey, you're gonna, you're gonna be the next leader. You don't see his call. Two is look how he took power. He killed his brothers. God would never tell him to do that. And three, uh, did you notice where he got the money from? The temple of Baal. Come on, man. Like how, how bad could that be uh, of saying that he is not a judge? And so, uh, you know, that's crazy. Okay. And, and, and in here, just what gave me the shivers as a dad what gave me the shivers as I read this is, is when I think about the legacy that Gideon left his son. And I, I don't know, honestly, I don't know what kind of influence he had on Abimelech or what Abimelech saw from Gideon, but it gives me the shivers when I think about the legacy I wanna leave with my kids. Because man, I want, I want them to see what was the most important thing in my life was the relationship I have with my heavenly father, not the power that I get, not the prestige that comes. And I just wonder if that's what ended up with Gideon. I hate to think about that with Gideon. But man, I just think about that. The Gideon was all about power, not God in the end. And I wonder if that influenced Abimelech enough to say, that's what I wanna do. I wanna do what my dad did. I wanna get all the power. I wanna get, so I just wanna ask you. I just wanna ask you real quick before we move on because it shook me. What legacy are you leaving for your kids right now? Are you thinking about that? Do you have a plan? Do you have a plan? If you were to ask you, if we were to ask your kids right now, hey, what's the most important thing to mom? What's the most important thing to dad right now? What would they say? Would they say it's, it's recreation, it's material things, great house, good cars, is, is it sports, is it, is it possessions, is it money? What are you going after the most that they are being influenced the most about or is it your relationship with your heavenly father? It's just, it stuck out to me. I'm telling you, just, it just stuck out to me. So what proceeds to happen is, is he kills all of his brothers, except for one, there's one left. There's a guy named Jotham, all right? 
And Jotham, uh, he actually one day, he kind of stands up, he stands up for God and he goes to elders uh, of God's people and he, he does like a speech. He goes, hey, I got something to say. I'm gonna tell you something. And he starts to talk uh, about this parable. He tells this story about a forest of trees, all right? And the forest of trees was looking for a leader. And so he says, they first went to an olive tree and they said, hey, will you lead us? And the olive tree said, no, I can't. I'm too busy doing olive stuff, right? And, and so then, and then it says that they go to a fig tree and say, hey, will you lead us uh, in a vine? And they say, what are you doing? And the fig's like, I'm too busy making fig newtons. And the vine's like, I gotta make wine, right? Like I got too much stuff to do. And so then it says they go to a sagebrush and the sagebrush goes, I'll lead you. I'll lead you, but what you gotta do is you gotta kill those other trees first. And Jotham, man, so, and, and he goes, that's you. Like, that's what you're doing. That's what he told the elders. He's like, this is what Abimelech is going to do. And this is what you allowed to happen. And then like, he just, like, after he says that, he runs away and he hides for the rest of his life in a place called Beer. Sounds great. You know, like, some of you just woke up. Some of you are like, wait, what is this, Beer? Huh? Okay. Welcome to the sermon. All right, anyways. It's true. That's where he went to. All right, and what happens, what happens is Abimelech ends up doing exactly what Jotham said was gonna happen. He attacks his own people, he burns down his own towns, and he does it in several places. And then he comes to this third place and he does the same thing. He starts to burn it down and all the people run to this big tower. And so he's getting ready to burn them alive in the tower. And what happens is this woman uh, gets a millstone, a big old like heavy thing, and drops it on Abimelech's head. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? But he doesn't die. He doesn't die. Uh, and so what he does is he, and one of his soldiers is running by and he, and he goes, hey, you need to kill me. You need to kill me because I do not want to be the second person to die uh, from an ordinary household item, okay? Like he's like, and if you were here a few weeks ago, you know what I'm talking about. Cause he's like, they're still singing about sister in that tit pig. I don't want to be sung about like that. And so the guy is just, just go back a couple weeks. And anyways, the guy goes, okay. And he kills him. That's Abimelech. All right. And here's how this ends up. In this way, God punished Abimelech for the evil he had done against his father by murdering his 70 brothers. Now catch this gang. God also punished the men of Shechem for all their evil. And so the curse of Jotham, son of Gideon, was fulfilled. And so this ends with saying something really important that we need to catch, that God punished them that God punished Abimelech and Shechem for following Abimelech. And here's, here's what strikes me in this part of the story. This is the first time we see God spoken like this in like two chapters. We don't see him doing anything. Again, we see him being talked about just in a few places, but there's no big act that happens. We don't see uh, an angel come. We don't see a fleece uh, with dew. We don't see a flood created in the dry season. We don't see any of that. But, but right here, the author pulls back the curtain a little bit in verse 56, and he tells us God was not absent. He was not absent. He was there. He is silent, but he is not absent. And gang, I think that's like what crosses our roads a little bit today still to, to, to what we're seeing and what we're going through and the questions we ask. I think we can go through life and we can ask that same question. Where is God? Like he seems awful absent with what we're seeing and all the things that are going on, all the bad stuff happening. And sometimes it seems like evil is winning. But you have to notice this. And I think that's why this is here for us. I think God, this is all descriptive of what's going on, but I still think he gives us some prescriptive things to understand about him and who he is and his love and what he does. But we gotta understand this. I think this is why it's here. It goes right after the heart of this. I, th I think about Jotham. I do, I think about him. Man, he took a stand for God. And then he had to run away. 
and, and hide really for the rest of his life. And, and I wondered like, uh, uh, you know, how long he waited. Because here's the thing, Abimelech ruled for three years of terror and, and just awful things that he did. Three years, long time. And I just wondered what Joseph, Jotham was thinking about a year in or two or maybe like the third year about God. Like what is, what is going on? But gang, don't miss this. We can't confuse God's delay on justice with it never happening. That's what this is saying. Don't confuse God's delay on justice happening with it never coming. It will come. God will have the final word. He will have perfect justice for every single person that, th- that lives on this earth. And he has perfect, perfect purposes that will always be accomplished in the name of Jesus Christ. Anybody wanna say amen to that? It will happen. He will come through. Look how Peter puts it. That's how Peter puts it. He goes, okay, so, so don't overlook this, beloved that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so Peter is telling us today, hey, don't confuse God's delay with meaning that Jesus isn't coming back. He will come back. He is returning. And so keep fighting the good fight of your faith. Don't give up. Don't wonder. Don't think that he's not here. He is here and he is working and he's doing things and Jesus will return. Don't get lulled into complacency in your faith. So I wanna end, I wanna end by asking a few questions. Okay, here's the first one that I wanna ask. What do you need to do right now to keep up the fight for your faith? Maybe you can write that down better than I said it. What do I need to do right now to fight for my faith? I think that's what God is wanting to show us a little bit through the story of Gideon and, and how we don't want to end up like him. So, so what do we need to do? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, what do you need to do? Gang, I want to push on you a little bit. It's not just walking away going, man, that was a great message. That's not why I'm here. I'm here just to deliver the word of God and let that penetrate your soul and your faith in a way to say, what do I do with this? And I wanna challenge you right now, what do you do? What are some things that you need to do? Maybe you need to look at your heart. Are you guarding it? Are you guarding it with what you're looking at, with what you're watching, with what you're doing and, and things that you're saying with people that you love? And people, are you guarding it? Are, are you marking your life with generosity, gang? Are you protecting your faith in that way? Are you marking your life with accountability? What do you need to do? Are you living on an island with your faith? That will never ever ever, like end up being okay. What are you doing to protect your faith? Are you getting yourself in a place, oh man, this is a big one, to be daily amazed by God's presence? Are you daily amazed by God's presence? The best way I do it, I'm gonna tell you right now, is it's the easiest. I, I don't need, I don't, you need a book. I read a Psalm every day. Every day I read a song, no matter what else I'm studying or whatever I'm doing, I read one every day and I just go over and when I get to the end, I go back to the beginning. Psalms is packed with the knowledge that we need to say God's presence is real, it is great, he is awesome, he is amazing. So just start reading the psalm every day. It's the food you need. Here's the other question I wanna ask and it will be done. It's a pointed one, it's a pointed question, but I feel like the Lord led me to this. What is gonna happen when you die? I told you it was pointed. But it's what Peter's saying to us when God says, God is patient, but he doesn't want you to perish. He's giving you time, but don't wait on the decision to make Jesus Christ the savior of your life and the forgiver of your sins. You can't wait. Because the next verse after that, he says, the Lord's gonna come like a thief in the night. You're never gonna know. God wants you to repent. He wants you to be with him, okay? Don't delay on that decision. You need to repent. You need to turn from your sin. 
And you need to believe that Jesus Christ is the only way that you could be made right with God through his death and resurrection. And I just, I'm here to tell you, don't delay on that. What's gonna happen when you die? Are you wondering? Are you not confident? Let's get that done today then. Because God is making it clear of what you need to do in order to be with him forever. He doesn't want you to be left behind. He made a way for you, but you need to come clean with him. I think one of the hardest things that we have to wrap our heads around is the fact that we all deserve what happened to the people of Shechem. They got killed. And God said, that's justice. That's justice. That we all deserve that. That they have to, evil and sin has to be punished. It has to be punished. And, and it's hard to think that that's what sin does, but I, I need to talk to some of you today. That's what it does if it's left unforgiven. You are in a death sentence as you sit. And here's what I wanna tell you. We're all in the same boat of that. It's just some of us have the life preserver and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's all it is. Because the good news is that Jesus paid the price for your sin to be forgiven, that he can give you that assurance of salvation that you need, that you can have it. His death rescued us from the penalty for our sin. And some of you need to know Jesus like that. Right now, today, in this moment, you know about Jesus, that's not what I'm telling you. You need to know who he is and what he did for you. Think about what this means. Think about this, what this means to be redeemed and to be forgiven and to be made right with your heavenly father and be saved by truly accepting Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. I don't know why you think you're here, but it's the only reason you're here. It's the only reason I'm up here. I wanna proclaim high as I can the gospel of Jesus Christ that it's good news for the salvation of your soul. And if you're here and you're unsure, or if you wonder if you have that assurance, if you're saved, people who are saved don't wonder about that. We know, and I want you to know, and God wants you to know. And so if that's you, can you just accept God's invitation? Turn from your life. You're not gonna find anything there. Turn to God who loves you and made you and, and said, man, I made a way for you. I, I let my son die for you, and don't let that go. Don't waste time. You never know when he's gonna return. And so make that decision today. And, and so I'm just gonna ask if everybody could just bow your heads with me and wherever you're at. I, and some of you might not even be prayer people, but if you bow your hands and close your eyes, just give, I think we need to give a few people a moment here for, for them to think about this. And I just wanna give you an opportunity right now um, to accept God's invitation to the salvation he offers you. And you don't need to stand up. You don't need to raise your hand. That is not what you have to do to receive salvation. You just need to accept what he has done for you. It's already done. You just need to believe in your heart that, that God raised Jesus from the dead and, and confess with your mouth uh, that, that, that Jesus is who he says he is and that you need to be forgiven. So if you're ready to do that, you can just pray with me to mark this moment. Pray in your heart right now or in a whisper, however you wanna do that. I believe God is speaking to some of you right now to do this. And so don't wait, don't delay, just do it. And we'll get you next steps. But here's what we do. We pray, God, forgive me. I am a sinner and I need a savior. I've been living my life for me and I know that's not the way. And I accept Jesus and his death as full payment for my sin. It's nothing I do, it's all that he has done. And I, I wanna be forgiven. I wanna be accepted. I wanna be with you, forgive me. And I, I turn my life over to you forever. Now Jesus, for all of us, I, I thank you so much for, for whatever you did there. I know you worked in some hearts right now for all of us. I pray that we take this and say, what am I gonna do? How am I gonna fight for my faith? Lord, I thank you for what you've done and what you already did. Uh, we love you and we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Hey, if you did make that decision, uh, man, make sure you come find me. I'll be out there.
mark your connect card. You can just check that off that said, hey, I prayed to receive Jesus Christ. We would love to get you next steps. There are next steps. That's the beginning. So we'd love to get you next steps, a couple things in your hand. Uh, and that concludes our service, everybody. We'll see you next week for the next chapter in Judges.